0: I'm Sasha Feitler.
1: I'm Stephen Cohen.
0: And this is Shut Up!
1: I Love It!
0: A podcast where our guests come on to champion a part of culture that's underrated and or underappreciated.
1: Joining us today, he is a comedian and a voice actor. He's performed in Chicago and New York, on the I.O. stage, at the Magnet, at the People's Improv Theater.
0: He plays Preston in the feature film Captain Hagan's Bed and Breakfast available on Amazon or iTunes.
1: And he's the host of Intrigue TV's Just Eat It. Welcome, Andrew Cornelius, the Welcome. best
2: name ever. It's a hello, good name. Yeah, no, it's, it's a strong name. A lot of people think that I chose that name, like my sag After card, but mm. it's, that was given to me as I showed up into this world. <laughs> they gave good, it like, to you. Yeah. Jim and <laughs> Kathy Cornelius bequeathed it to me.
1: Those are strong names, too. Yeah. They have strong consonant sounds. I guess your name doesn't start with a strong consonant sound. I wonder yeah. why they chose
2: to keep that from you. Yeah. You know? My sister starts with a consonant sound, too. Lindsay. Hmm.
0: Shout out to all the Cornelius family members. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so, Andrew, why are you here today? What are you doing
1: here?
2: Yeah, what are we talking about today? I would I need to tell you about a movie. Not everybody loves it, but I'm here to defend it and explain why Alien Resurrection is the greatest alien movie of all time.
1: This is so exciting because this is when Sasha and I were coming up with the premise for the podcast... This is, like, exactly what we want. Because I got to say, you know, generally Alien Resurrection, in terms of, like, the first four Alien movies, probably looked at as the worst one by most people.
0: And we'll get back to that, but mm. just as a general But the fact that statement. we have
1: someone here who is willing to say the opposite, that this is the best, I can't wait to hear about it. I am very excited. So, Andrew, why do you love alien resurrection oh i guess we should say uh probably some spoiler alert for the film alien resurrection and maybe some of the other alien films yeah um, if
0: you are unfamiliar with the franchise i would say jump on it right now pause mm-hmm. this podcast. Pause the podcast
1: go watch the first four alien films and then come back and continue. Right, you listening. can skip
2: Alien versus Predator. <laughs> right. You'd be okay. I won't. I won't give anything away in those two yeah, movies. Yeah, we won't spoil Prometheus? Uh, Prometheus. I think we, we can I'll refrain steer, from spoiling steer, Prometheus. I can right? just steer clear of that. And
1: Alien yeah. Covenant, we can skip that one too. But yeah, the first, I think the first four Alien films are fair game. So um, let's give a just a brief like. General synopsis of the film, right? Uh, This movie takes place, I think, is it 200 years? That's right. After Alien 3, at the end of which the heroine, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, realized she had an alien growing inside of her, and uh, rather than letting the Wayland yutani corporation remove it from her and use it for experiments, she decided to jump into molten metal and kill herself. And now 200 years later... The corporation, not Wayland yutani but at the behest of the U.S. military, or, well, Earth military, I guess, has created a clone of Ripley.
0: Which comes in not right away, right? Like
1: We know that she's number eight, but we don't really know what that means. In making this clone, they also cloned the alien that was inside of her. They've removed this alien, and she is some sort of, like, genetic mix. Like, she has some uh, xenomorph abilities.
0: She's able... to To feel what a xenomorph is feeling next door to her. Yeah,
1: she has like a psychic connection with that. Yeah, like an ESP kind of connection. Mm -hmm. I just have
0: like a sort of logistical question right off the top. Yeah, sure, Uh, sure. Is it true that one can even like in theory clone someone from blood samples? Because since 1997, which is I believe when the movie was made, Mm. it's been proven that you cannot clone something from a blood sample. Yeah. Well, you think any strain am, of DNA would do? Well, I am, I think I'm
2: not a scientist, so I don't know for sure. But I feel like, which is okay in the 2019s, is if you feel something, it's almost true. <laughs> oh yeah. That you could you from blood sample you could I, clone somebody. I have a
1: bachelor's degree in biology.
0: So you are the most qualified person to answer this I question. I guess
2: in of this room. the three
1: of us, I'm the closest to a scientist. All right. I think. I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't be able to because blood cells are still cells; they should still have a full copy of your DNA in them that you could use to f- make further copies. But I, I again, you know, the all cloning technology in general is is pretty um, low level right now, as far and, as we know. There's right. of course uh, True, the ground could be yeah.
2: cloning Sigourney Weaver right now. Yeah. Now this is 400 years <laughs> in the future. We're gonna have technologies <laughs> you cannot. Even fathom. Uh, now there are some conceits. I know you need to finish the the story, sure. and I, I do believe that there's probably some misguidance that Sigourney Weaver's character would inherit memories. I'll concede that that that, yeah, that, that, that has never happened in DNA, as far as I know.
1: Genetic <laughs> memory, uh, not really a thing, uh, from what I know
0: although some yogi practitioners would tell you that there are issues in your tissues meaning you carry emotional trauma passed on from generation to generation so i don't know if it's related to so
1: that's interesting the you're thinking maybe screenwriter Joss Whedon and director Jean-Pierre Jeunet were kind of combining the science and the metaphysical in their creation of Ripley clone 8
0: it's hard to tell because it was 21 years ago the movie came out. Who knows when Joss Whedon wrote it. Also,
1: who knows how much of Joss Whedon is really in the shooting script, right? Like, that's true, as we know. That's how Hollywood works. Hollywood
0: works, yeah. you Maybe, for what I know, maybe he did disown this movie. I don't know if he did or did not.
2: Yeah, He's the credited screenwriter, but certainly... He, he is, and he did discredit the movie. He did? Yep. Oh. Yes. And there you go. So he says that... All of his ideas were intact, Hmm. but all of them were executed wrong, which is part for me is like part of the enjoyment of such a movie. I'm like, yeah, that could be said differently. (laughs) He really doesn't understand the irony of what he's supposed to say right there.
1: So (laughs) the, the government is trying to raise xenomorphs to do God knows what with them and in order to do that they need bodies to act as incubators and so they contract a bunch of kind of ne'er-do-well they feel like space pirates to bring them bodies that they can use to grow aliens and these this is apart from ripley this is our main cast of the film the crew of betty right the ship is called the betty right Mm -hmm. and uh you've got a big list a who's who of character actors Winona Ryder.
0: Well, she is the star at the time. True. She is right. the
2: it's true. Peak, peak, golden child. Peak, peak Winona Ryder.
0: Pre-stealing lipstick. Oh, the
2: shoplifting yes. thing, yeah. <laughs> Pre-Girl Interrupted, but post. Is that true? This is pre-Girl Interrupted. This is interrupted. pre-Girl wow. Interrupted, but post-Reality Bites.
0: Are you a big fan of Winona Ryder? I general? think I
2: was. I think I was. Mm. No insult to her canon of work. You know, she was the it actress.
1: Also on the ship, we've got Ron Perlman. As a angry one of just the most straight up
0: arch characters of the entire franchise.
1: We've got Gary Durden. That's how I've always said his name. He was on CSI. Mm -hmm. That's what I knew him from. Yeah,
2: the the Gary Durden was one of his original roles. Mm. It's probably helped him get in on CSI, Mm. and then his bad behavior got him fired from CSI. That's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) He he has an affinity for extracurricular activities that uh, the federal law enforcement (laughs) frown upon.
1: And as do the producers of CSI. Uh, Michael Wincott is the, the captain of the Betty. And Kim Flowers is his uh, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last member of the crew is... Uh, do you know how to say this guy's name? Dominique Pinon?
0: I'm going to call him Pinon. All
1: right. Pignon. Going forward, he'll be Pignon. Uh <laughs> Who I assume is French. Uh, no, he's
0: very French because we've seen him in the director's at least two movies. Okay,
1: so I yes. this is the only... Jean-Pierre Junet film I've seen. I've never seen Amelie. What was like his first one? The City of Lost Children. The City
2: of the City Lost, of Lost Children, Children also has Ron Perlman in it.
0: Well, hey, he has his favorite character actors, okay? And, you know, Dominique Pignon, I remember enjoying quite a lot and uh, definitely Delicatessen and...
1: I was going to say Children of a Lesser God, but that's not nope, it. Nope, that's
2: the deaf the one. C-
1: <laughs> the City of Lost Children. <laughs>
2: The and the City of,
0: City lost, of children.
2: lost Children. Which is another one of your podcasts. We just have to find the right person. <laughs> <laughs> so he's
1: the way that Quentin Tarantino puts a shot of people from the trunk of a car. Jean Pierre Jeunet puts Dominic Pignon in his films.
0: Or, I mean, he's just like his favorite. Dude, that he brings mm-hmm. with him. The, like, there's the New Zealand uh, director that also brings his favorite actors to so all the big Hollywood movies these days. Uh,
1: you're talking about Taika Waititi? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I think it's just a thing mm-hmm. some foreign directors do. So, you know, he brought Dominic Pignon and he made him an American character, but who speaks with oh, a strong...
1: This character is supposed to be American? I
0: couldn't tell because he doesn't ha- sound French to me. But he sounds like a French person really trying to mm-hmm. sound American. Okay. As a foreign person, that's what I sensed
2: there. I always assumed that he was an outsider yeah. on the on the Betty's crew.
1: I almost think it doesn't matter, right? This is 200 years in the future. Right. I don't think the military is identified as the U.S. military, right? The lines have been blurred. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so yeah. I wonder if this is a post-borders world. world. Yeah. yeah. Although the movie does end in Paris. Spoiler. Yeah, depending
2: on which version you saw. Did you see the the director's cut where they go to a city that I won't say yet? Well, I want to say
1: very... So I have the Alien Quadrilogy box Ah, set. Ah, okay. And uh, I did watch the special edition and it... Starts with an introduction by Jean-Pierre Jeunet where he makes it very clear that this is not a director's cut.
2: Not a director's cut.
1: He's very adamant that the director's cut is the version of the movie that came out in 1997. This is just a special
2: edition. Okay. (laughs) Because I've seen seen both. In the special edition, they land on Earth and then there's that final scene in Paris. Mm Mm-hmm. A destroyed Paris, but right. a Paris nonetheless. Right.
1: The Eiffel Tower has been... Uh, uh, Knocked in half. In half. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Letting us know specifically. The Arc de Triomphe, still okay, but...
1: <laughs> uh, so uh, all of our characters are now gathered on this big starship where uh, Dan Hadaya, who Sasha has described in our notes as hairy... <laughs> He's a very
0: hairy man. That's the the most memorable shot of the movie to me was when he takes his shirt kind of off. And then I see his shoulders, like the longer hair than I've ever had on my head.
1: (laughs) He's the general in charge. And Brad Dourif, the voice of Chucky from the Child's Play movies, is a scientist who seems to be sexually attracted to the xenomorphs. Who could blame him?
2: Well, when you see Aliens 4, (laughs) you learn. You're like, I want to fuck that alien. (laughs)
1: long story short the aliens get out they start wreaking havoc and uh, it's up to our ragtag group of survivors to try and get out they also come across a man who has a xenomorph growing inside his chest played by Leland Orser who I remember fondly from the like last four seasons of ER
2: did he have a xenomorph growing in him in that too it's never explicit (laughs) on the show but I think so yeah. I think it's there in his Did performance. Did they also
0: keep him just so that he can pop in the final act of the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just yeah, keep yeah. him alive. He only shows
1: yeah. up in the last act of every episode of ER. <laughs> and I would say the last couple main characters we have J.E. Freeman as another doctor, Dr. Wren, who becomes the main antagonist, I suppose.
0: There are a few turns of characters, like you witness, sort of like there's a few misdirects, and he has big misdirects. He is indeed bad. Ripley was right all along Mm -hmm. not trusting him.
1: Yeah, like most scientists in alien movies, he's either incompetent or evil or both. And this group kind of takes him, brings him with them to try and get off of the spaceship. Also, Raymond Cruz, who you may know as Tuco from Breaking Bad, is a soldier who was also along with them. And I would say Raymond Cruz desperately needed a director who spoke English to (laughs) help him find the right level for his performance in this movie.
0: You can sense that the director spoke no English watching this film.
1: I had that feeling as well, but let's get back to that. Let's get back to that because we still need to hear from Andrew. Now that we've kind of broken down the basics of the movie,
2: why do you love this movie? All right, so the first time I saw this movie, it was in a movie theater in London. Mm. Uh, It was uh, real close to my flat, uh, Did you live
0: there at the time? I did.
2: It was part of an internship or an apprenticeship, as they call it. And I didn't have enough money to necessarily go to a a West End show all the time, but I could afford to go to the movie theater. So I saw a ton of British and American films at the time. And this was like something that I knew, like, oh, this is like a taste of home, a franchise, (laughs) a fourth in an installment of a movie that I that I was well aware of these characters. So, and did
1: you? What were your feelings about the Alien franchise up to this point?
2: I had really enjoyed Alien. I thought mm-hmm. that the claustrophobia was captured perfectly in the first one. Yeah, uh, the second one is a true James Cameron movie. Yeah, where you give Ripley nothing to do until the third act, and suddenly she becomes the stronger than mm-hmm. space marines. The third one I didn't like at all. that's the David Fincher one, and it's just bleak. It is like. Whatever hope we had before, well, that's gone. And it also introduces like a weird idea that a dog, uh, spoiler alert, a dog gets impregnated with the xenomorph thing, and the new alien that comes out is less human-like and more dog-like, yeah. behaves like that. Hmm. Whatever the host is, that's what the xenomorph becomes.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's not really something they ever really address again yeah. in the
2: franchise, except,
1: I guess, in, in Alien vs. Predator, which are maybe not canon, spoiler alert. Oh, I guess we Who weren't going to spoil them. Who but wins? Well, it doesn't matter, because whoever wins, we lose. That was the tagline <laughs> for that film. A... How true
2: that tagline was. <laughs> that works on multiple levels. Right. Everyone <laughs> lost.
1: <laughs> Especially the production team. Um, a predator does get face-hugged and produces what uh, is referred to in the sequel oh, as right. a predalien. Um but yeah, I agree. Alien three is very bleak. It takes place on a prison planet, populated, I believe,
2: exclusively by, by men man? who have o- committed sex crimes. All of them sex crime perverts. Yeah. <laughs> um some of them violent offenders. So there's that. <laughs> so you like the best case is I'm gonna make a ragtag crew of these rapists. <laughs> and-, and boy do they <laughs> But, like, as you described, then it very well ends, like a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Ripley makes the ultimate sacrifice, uh, being impregnated by an alien, jumps into the lava, and vaporized, or so we're left to believe. Right. So you're kicking this off, and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way you can have another alien movie. And yet there is. (laughs) And I feel like uh, our guy, Joss Whedon, has uh, come through here. He's like... He has created a story where basically it's the firefly. Like it is a mm-hmm. ragtag, space pirates. Their main guy, their Nathan Fallone kinda their captain, captain mm-hmm. is like a like a, a copy and he like he kinda talks in old western style. And mm-hmm. like there's like this hint of like a, a, a world that's kind of fallen apart. The Frank the- guy? Michael Wincott, the captain. Michael yeah,
0: I I thought of him as poor man's James
1: Franco. He has a look like a sharp face, Let's hard see. angles,
2: handsome sharp face. He's the leader. There's no question. And so the misdirection is like oh, infinity symbol or eight. Like what is Ripley's mm. character? And the, are there are there is others? Is she bad? Is she bad? And then they give Sigourney Weaver something to do. Like, this is the amazing performance of Sigourney Weaver. Like I
1: I will say I'm very surprised by how much Sigourney Weaver is giving this movie. Because I can imagine probably it took a lot of negotiating, you know, offers, a lot of money, and a co-producer credit to get her on board. And I'm surprised by how invested she is in the material. Including
0: the scene where she just holds a
1: basketball over the... <laughs> head of uh, Ron,
0: per- Ron, Ron Perlman, Perlman. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, I can just imagine the French director on the side <laughs> saying see si, I see this is love oh. I don't know why it sounds <laughs> Italian
2: so yes where you see a uh, Euro trash moment. I do see uh, a perfection of uh, of a, what is a game and what is brute force against the equally animalistic Sigourney Weaver character. And you're right. She goes whole hog on this. Mm-hmm. Like the character is very different than the Ripley's we've seen before. Obviously, she has abilities, which we you get to, to understand. But like she's really sensuous too. Like there's some yeah. weird moments where she's like sniffing the aliens and like, Hugging the aliens and sometimes almost dancing with them.
1: Mm-hmm. There's that scene toward the end where she's being carried by one of them, and she just kind of wraps her arms around it and like falls asleep in its arms. Very interesting moment.
2: There's a lot of maternal themes in mm-hmm. this in this one. Yeah, the other parts that are about the movie, like just as the aliens get loose, which they always do, mm-hmm. they always run amuck. It's a very you
1: know good on the aliens for figuring out how to get out of it this time because. They're all kind of being held in a pen. Uh, There's like three or four fully grown xenomorphs that Brad Dourif is gazing at longingly. And they figure out, oh, right, our blood is acid. And so they destroy one of their number. They just tear them apart with their second mouths. And he sinks through the floor. And
2: that's how they escape. Yeah. Pretty creative. Even the scientists couldn't think of that one. (laughs) It does come up later
0: (laughs) again in the very interesting scene of uh, using, I think, the same acid blood to make a hole.
1: So this is Ripley's blood. This is at the end of the movie. Ripley, uh, and we'll probably talk more about the the final creature of the film. But Ripley kind of uses the alien's teeth to cut open her palm and flings her blood because her blood is also acid. To create a hole in a spaceship window to, to kill kind of end the ultimate ends a threat. Um, yeah, it does come back.
2: There's there's some good screenwriting tricks here. Like Yeah, so like the space pirates, they have no weapons, or so we think. Right. And then it turns out everything they have is technically a weapon. Gary's character has guns welded to his hands, and uh, Ron Perlman brought a thermos that's actually a bazooka, and... Uh, The other French guy has guns hidden in the chair. They're not as helpless as we had originally thought.
1: We did not mention that Dominique Pignon's character
2: is in a wheelchair.
0: Or sometimes uh, he's being carried by another team member.
2: Very true. Oh, the other part is that the turn, right when we think, well, if the team of space pirates can just get to their ship, it's going to be fine. But there's the real turn of like their leader is killed off Mm. at minute 48. Yeah. The captain is gone. And the poor
0: man's... The poor man's... James Franco. James Franco
2: slash Nathan Fillion. He had another project probably, and they're like, we got to get get him out. He is yeah. impaled by
1: an alien mouth, just like the earlier Xenomorph, and he's dead.
2: So you know the game is on. Any of these characters, as cute as Mignon Pignon is, <laughs> he could be killed. There's no question. So now that I've gotten to like the Space Marines of the Aliens franchise, other than Hicks, I can't really remember any of them. There's it Vasquez, didn't. who's kind of like the badass chick in yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Oh,
0: well, there's the amazing Michael Bean, of course. And then Dixon. there's... one uh, over, man! <laughs>
2: yeah, then that's Bill Paxton, That's right? Bill Paxton, yes. Yeah, yeah so man. the only What's Survivor ones, on, the other ones are interchangeable. Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea who didn't make it. Whereas this group, like, each one has their own thing. And I'm like, aha! It's going to be sad when I see these people get I'm chomped say, by xenomorphs.
0: I'm going to go right ahead and say that I was very excitedly waiting for... Winona's writer's character to die but she did not for a while because to me she was the worst synthetic person ever portrayed in film but Uh,
1: now here's the thing you don't know at a certain point Winona Ryder Dr. Wren who's that evil scientist kind of tricks Winona Ryder into thinking the door is jammed and so he, he asks her for her gun to open the door and instead he shoots her and she falls into water and we're left thinking oh she's dead and then a moment later we find out she's not dead. She's a synthetic in the vein of Lance Henriksen in Aliens. and
0: Who was amazing, I have to say. And he was just enough, had Uncanny Valley quality to him that I was
1: like, oh, yeah. I believe a... that he is not human. I, he might not be. Lance Henriksen in real life might be a synthetic. I don't know. If he was
2: sent back in time to play his roles (laughs) so that he could later be
1: made, I would believe it. (laughs) Yeah, so we find out now Winona Ryder's character, Call, is a synthetic. And Sasha, you didn't buy it?
0: No, to me she was doing the bad Winona Ryder's acting version Mm -hmm. of like sort of the same character maybe that she did in Jim Jarmusch's Night on Earth where she is uh, just like, I don't know, and just kind of sounding like capricious <laughs> and annoyed and sort of cute, but I could not believe for a second that she's like the advanced version of uh, a synthetic.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know how advanced she is. She was one made by synthetics, so right. she's the ideal that, of the robots. As Tuco himself tells us,
1: a robot made by robots. He was really good, actually, in this one. I enjoyed him. <laughs> I think he needed someone to tell him to calm down in that scene in particular.
2: I think he was the Bill Paxton character of this film. I can see it both ways. Like for me, I was like, ah, Tuco brings some energy and some excitement to this rush to the ship. But in hindsight, maybe you're right. Maybe he just didn't have a director who spoke English. Who should have been like, so you're supposed to be afraid right now, not happy. (laughs) This has gone really bad for you.
1: Uh, So, Sasha, is this the first time you've seen Alien Resurrection? Do you have a history with this film or the franchise in general?
0: I have seen at least the first three, Hmm. uh, and then I saw Prometheus um, later. But I don't remember seeing this one. Uh, I recently watched Aliens, and I was amazed at how good, just solid James freaking Cameron movie that is. And there's a certain tone that I think should be preserved in the franchise and so when i recently saw alien resurrection i was expecting this tone that i just did not see at all it was a the director's tone of all his other movies which is delicatessen and emily it was a big contrast between sort of the aliens and this film
1: yeah i don't know how that plays in those other films but the other alien films have this very serious they're taking themselves and their premise very seriously but with the approach that Jean-Pierre Junet brings to this one, it does make it feel slightly more B-movie to me. Which well, I don't, which, I don't I
0: think that's agrees. what he was going for. I think he was going right just like for the sort of the artistic style of this like camera just gets really close to the character's face and distorts it. And let's just put smoke everywhere because that there was smoke in the aliens, which made sense because there were pipes that were broken on that ship, but for some reason, there's a lot of smoke in this film that's un- unexplained. Well, I don't know. Just I, the
1: atmospheric smoke. I do think that he is, uh, Jean-Pierre Junet, is finding things in this situation that he thinks are funny. I think he's trying to draw attention to aspects of this scenario that he thinks are silly. And the thing that really stood out to me in that sense, when I was watching it, was when Dan Hedaya, who's the general, so the the xenomorphs break out and. Dan Hedaya has the space station evacuate. And as a bunch of soldiers are jumping into a pod, a xenomorph also crawls into that pod and starts killing the soldiers. Dan Hedaya takes a grenade, rolls it into that pod, and as it launches, he blows it up, and he does a slow salute. He just slowly brings his hand to his head in a way that seems like it's supposed to be funny. Well, yeah, I think it is like a French sort of movie town. Yeah, and that's true, I guess, of a lot of non- American productions, right? Other countries have an easier time of moving between tones in a way that, for some reason, American films don't really do that much. Like, right, American films stick to it, right? If this is a drama, we're high drama, and we are sticking to drama. This is a comedy, it's comedy all the way, right? Whereas, Yeah, a lot of, like, French directors, like, even thinking about, like, the French New Wave, like, those were all about, like, taking, like, very serious situations, but also finding these But also they
0: could, because, again, it was a smaller budget.
1: True, This
0: There's a lot of money on the line, so you see, like, what happens when you take sort of the serious franchise and you just sort of uh, make a light of it all.
2: Yeah, well, see, like, this is, the Alien franchise is weird because you have a shift in tone each time you have a new director. And, like, most franchises I think of, like, the two thousand Superman, you get Zack Snyder, and you have his imprint on all of it. But, like, yeah, you've got uh, Ridley Scott the first time making a claustrophobia movie. Then the second one, you've got a James Cameron making a Titanic, but it happens to be in space. Uh, then the third one, you just have David Fincher on a bad day. And then <laughs> this fourth one, you got Jean-Pierre Genet. I think you're right. I think it is, now that you pointed it out to me, it's strange that they're, like, this time We're going to change it up by making it a comedy. (laughs) Because there are other comedic moments. Like just moments after uh, Dan, uh, he's attacked by the alien. Right. As his hand is still in the
1: salute position, the xenomorph rises behind him. And somehow he knows it's there. And it uses its tongue mouth. It strikes through the back of his head. (laughs) And Dan, Dan reaches back and just pulls out a little bit of his brain. And looks at ponders it.
2: it. He has he has enough function left. He's like, what? What is this? But the synapses aren't connected. There's no way for him to understand that he's holding his own brain.
1: But also, you know, uh, that might not all be on uh, Genet, right? Joss Whedon, in his scripts, is known for that blend of like genre action with you know kind of quirky comedy. And I mean, I know he says that much of like his dialogue and his execution didn't make it to the film. Who knows?
0: You know, I mean, 30-year-old Joss Whedon pre-Dollhouse and pre-Firefly, right? And right. Like, Pre-Firefly. Yeah. This may have been, been like an early
2: draft for Firefly. And they're like, mm. hey, uh, on Tuesday, Paramount <laughs> wants you to come in and uh, pitch something. But it's for aliens. He's like, what have I got? At yeah. this point, the
1: Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie had been made. Was the show out in 97? I don't think so.
2: Uh-huh. Is pre that show. Mm-hmm. So. Luckily, this didn't end his career. <laughs> Uh, and the other thing I'd point out like about the direction is like uh, there is one consistency in that uh, there's very little CGI aliens in it. Only the water scene. The water scene, The yeah. water scene has CGI Which aliens, is a but very the other complicated is scene. It's, uh, quite a set piece. Yeah, quite, quite a, set a
0: set piece, piece with the millions and millions and millions of dollars spent. You
1: can yeah, tell. so in part of those crews' effort to get back to the Betty, uh, they have to move through a flooded corridor. The kitchen of the ship.
2: In hindsight, did, do you remember seeing any coffee cups or <laughs> a,
1: a cup
0: signed Captain on it just floats by <laughs> in the foreground? No, I have not seen that.
1: And so it was a different cut, though. Yeah. Uh, and it's really underwater, you know, like the those actors are really swimming underwater. Dominic Pignon is tied to Gary Durden's back. Whose he... amazing
0: skill of ricochet is just
1: not needed. It's <laughs> and... true. He's very good at, <laughs> at right. To Although he did use it a ricochet, ricochet
0: skill in this scene, right? Because, does he? Yeah, because he... Oh, like, yeah, he does. You're right, you're right. <gasps>
2: he's they're a sharpshooter, being... in addition to everything else that he is, <laughs> besides just being like, Lenny Kravitz wasn't available, so we're gonna, we got him. <laughs> he and, is, but he's he like, instead his... of shooting anything directly, he's like, I need to do a bank shot off of something.
1: <laughs> they're moving through this flooded corridor. They realize they're being chased by xenomorphs. Uh, Ron Perlman is able to destroy one, but the other one is still coming after them. In the process, Kim Flowers the uh, captain's girlfriend is lost but she you know she's so broken up about his death how that, that
0: strong of a character i
1: don't know what her character's name is getting before. a foot
2: rub that was that was <laughs> her skill like, and landing the plane or, pardon me the ship she,
1: she lands it i don't know if she flies it but she lands <laughs> it for sure and, and she, she gets does a foot rub. get a foot rub in a very sensual scene but very but, french
2: very french <laughs>
0: So, See, I think we saw a different cut because I don't remember.
1: Okay, rubbing. so did you watch just the standard edition? Mm-hmm.
0: Whatever iTunes gave me.
1: I'm realizing now, I don't think I've ever seen that version because I'm pretty sure what I watched last night is the version that I had seen before. So, so I don't know what the differences are.
0: I don't know exactly, but based on your descriptions and certain things that came up, I think in the version that I saw, it's just more tamed version. Like they cut out the essential foot rubbing. And I remember
1: the slow... By the way, the sensual foot robe is pretty tame. There's no nudity. There's no... Uh...
2: <laughs> or... I think we're supposed to think they're having sex. Yes. But then... When
1: that scene starts, we're definitely supposed to think... But then they're both fully clothed. <laughs> I I'm, and... I'm
2: missed, I'm missed it's, out. It's ready to be broadcast on FX and it'll be okay. Like The, <laughs> the editor doesn't have to do anything. I also
0: scene. remember the slow salute, but I don't remember picking your own brain. Oh, okay. So I okay. think they cut that uh, out. Yeah. So... It, and, you know, I'm also an unreliable witness because sometimes no, well, I just so get distracted you, and I don't know well, well, if I'm not in love with the movie. But well, sure, no, I, I
2: really think that we saw two different cuts. We probably did. But that set piece, you guys. <laughs> you know, uh, water. Yeah. It's, it, it's a new addition. We've never seen an alien in water. Right. We've and never I, seen an I, alien swim I love before. It. I love it.
1: And it swims like a shark. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, this scene I, definitely... It wants to be Jaws, because even in this moment the score becomes very Jaws like, like it's just like dun 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 dun, <laughs> like it's just like two <laughs> notes back and forth to create tension, and it is CGI in this moment, and it doesn't look great. No, it's ninety, um, but CGI. it's ninety seven at the time. It probably looked pretty good, but they get through this corridor and they. Come up for air. They have to slash through like some alien slime. After being slime. like for fourteen minutes underwater, right. these people, their lung capacity is well, in the future, impressive. In
2: twenty four hundred, we all have that kind of <laughs> lung capacity. It comes from riding around in space.
1: But what they find is they've been lured into a trap because this is an alien egg den. There's face huggers everywhere, and they're just hatching. It is. Mm-hmm. It is gross. And so Gary Durden uses his ricochet skills. To bounce a missile off of a mirror on the roof. He can
0: calculate all kinds of stuff. Yeah,
1: he's very good at angles. He bounces a missile off a roof, off another thing, and then it blows up all the eggs in a triumph.
0: I think it's as good time as any to mention that aliens, xenomorphs in this film, make sounds that they never made before in the three previous films.
1: Are you willing to give an impression?
0: Uh, well, which which I, sound
1: do you remember? in which which one? Well, I
0: think that <laughs> in the at least the first two movies, xenomorphs make just the, like the
1: yeah. They don't really have a definable sound, except maybe in Aliens, the Queen might roar when not an uh, Aliens. No, not even when um, when Ripley is like burning the the eggs. No, nope. Interesting. When
2: the French guy messed with our. <laughs> Monster.
1: With our American monster created by H.R. Giger.
2: Yeah. It's always been debated whether they have eyes. And then mm. coming up, we're gonna have to talk about the one with eyes. So should we
1: talk about let's talk about that now. So the we find out that the alien that was in Ripley's chest was a larval queen. And so she is where they get all the eggs and the face huggers from. But also just as Ripley inherited alien traits from the Queen the queen has inherited a human womb from Ripley, so the queen gives a live How birth convenient. to a kind of alien a new hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's white. it Its face looks like a skull. It has eyes like deep-set black mm-hmm. eyes, and it immediately kills its birth mother. Mm-hmm. And then looks to Ripley as its true mother. Um, and that was
0: an interesting moment for me as a person who is interested in like dogs and like sort of their reaction <laughs> to humans is understanding that that's my leader, like that they pick. Hmm. And I was like, OK, cool. Like this new monster like chose Ripley, the human, to be its mother.
1: Now, I, I don't want to start doing judgments yet. Right, we shouldn't start doing it. I have been making judgments yeah, we have. this whole
2: podcast. I, we I have, feel like the movie's we, been judged a little bit.
1: <laughs> we haven't gotten to the part where we ask Andrew why he thinks people don't like this movie. I imagine it wasn't very well received, and I know its kind of reputation has not really improved over the years. So why do you think this movie doesn't connect with people the way that you connect with
2: it? Okay, looking at it from the outside, if uh, I were to view it... I guess if if you don't appreciate that Joss Whedon wrote the script and you have a uh, a director with a very consistent idea of a visual flair, I would say that uh, there is a real problem that the two do not mesh. Mm. In hindsight, I know that Shanae did not speak English. And so I can imagine that every direction that an actor got was filtered through someone almost like a game of telephone. <laughs> and that might explain... As an outsider viewing in that might explain some of the bizarre performance choices uh, that go through it. I think there's also like a we're gonna have to i guess address it at some point, but like the weird baby alien uh, mm-hmm. this this other hybrid thing was like kind of feminine but then kind of a baby, but then wanted to be near Ripley, and it, it's just weird to look at,
1: to be honest. It's a, it's weird, a, it's a weird It's a weird puppet. Thing. It is physical. You know, someone probably wearing some part of it. Um, There's
0: some real eyeballs behind the thing. Maybe oh, yeah. not. I don't, I don't
1: know. know. I'm easily impressed. It looks very strange, you know, because you get used to that kind of HR geeker xenomorph.
2: And that is the consistent thing of alien movies. Is like, well, we may get different directors, we may get different tones, we may get Ripley at a different point in her life. But the alien, the xenomorph, the basis for it, pretty much stays the same until this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like,
1: it's not exactly what people going into an alien movie might be expecting or necessarily It was a risk want. they took yeah.
0: to be like, we're going to blow their minds. They might love it. Or I I hate it.
2: So do you know that in the original script that Joss Whedon wrote, it was not a human hybrid. It was like a spider-looking thing. Uh, it feels alien.
0: more off-game, to use the UCB terminology, than even this. <laughs> yep, that might be why he got the note.
2: Yeah. yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean, I feel like the reason that they do it this way, right, is to... They're, they're trying to give this hybrid emotions in the face right like it has these it has eyes it has these eyes and it has essentially a brow right that can kind of be manipulated to show emotions
2: like it can move down and it can move up
0: just for our audience <laughs> steven is doing a great impression of
2: this hybrid right now with i know his i eyebrows. know where his eyebrows are and i know where up is for sure um <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i don't for the
2: most part think that really works
1: until the very end when sigourney dissolves a hole in the window and the this alien hybrid is kind of piece by piece sucked through it into the vacuum of space there the emotion on its face works because the eyebrows are in full up mode and it is scream it's It's like screaming it's crying and
0: i was upset too i have to say this is the one time they got me i was like this is just sad it's just this little (laughs) thing doesn't want its mama to betray him Well and and she did and she was upset about that
1: that's always been the thing about these movies is that the xenomorphs are just doing their normal survival thing right they grow inside of another organism they pop out they eat it and they move on right it's the human element that is where, like, the active villainy comes in, right? With, like, Matt Paul, me, Paul Reiser's character, right? And Dr. Wren in this one, right? When a when human they... agenda
2: is put upon these things, mm-hmm. that's where it always goes awry. It... But it feels
1: like when you are trying to put emotions onto the alien hybrid like that, you kind of lose that sense that it's instinct, right? And giving this alien a face that can move, you give it more sentience, and almost, you know, makes it harder to forgive because it destroys Tuco. He Hands was so on. close
2: to making it out he of He was.
1: At this point in the movie, they get back to the Betty. It's Ripley, Winona, Ron Perlman is still in it. Uh, he never
0: even has to pay for any of the <laughs> bad shit that yeah. he's done in he this movie. He is
1: Ron Perlman, um, besides like the villainous military, is right. the uh, one person on the crew who's like... Accepted as this is a bad person, a bad man.
2: Yeah, I, I like the movie, but wouldn't it have been better for him to carry the <laughs> pignon mignon? Uh, because so we like we're like, oh, he's redeemed himself. He saved that guy. Nope, but no, no, no he's arc just, for that character. He may still rape the android character, which he does. Threaten to do more than now once, that, more than once. And I think once they make it back to the ship, he's like, nah, I still might do it. <laughs>
1: So it's Ripley, Winona, Ron Perlman. Pinon is still with it. And also Tuco makes it back to the ship as well. But he is the fodder for the alien hybrid, which puts its hands on his head and then just squeezes and pulls his head apart. It's a good death. It's a good death, yeah. And so it makes it seem like the alien is actively bad in that way, which I don't think works for the series. Because even with the alien queen and aliens it does seem like she is more sentient than other xenomorphs in that film, right? Like, it seems like she has active thought process. She mm-hmm. seems very sad when Ripley is burning the eggs. Yeah. But even that, like, you feel bad for her. This, this is when she
0: separates herself from sort of her base and literally tears
1: meat. herself off yeah. of her it's egg cool. sack. You don't get that with this version of, of the big bad alien hybrid.
2: Uh, I'd say that is a unfortunate turn to the canon Of xenomorphology. Uh,
1: Sasha, why don't we get to the point where we kind of talk about our feelings and, yeah, give a rating.
0: Every time we rate something, we introduce
1: a scale. We try to give context for, like, what this scale kind of means. And maybe for this, a good context would be other alien films. Either alien
0: films. So I'm going to say that aliens would probably be a strong nine for me. On that scale, this movie probably belongs in the four because I enjoyed screenwriting and that I think placed it a little bit higher for me than I would have just based on the sort of mismatched tone that mostly disappointed me
1: Hmm.
0: what about you Steven
1: well in terms of the scale I would put probably alien at a 10 and aliens uh, at a 9 and uh I'll even put Alien 3 on that scale, which is probably like a five. So when I went into rewatching this, because I knew that Andrew considered this the best Alien movie, I tried to watch it from the perspective of like, what is good about this? That's
0: nice. I didn't have that. Um,
1: Sasha this... didn't wait until the night before to watch the movie. Yes.
0: <laughs> so I didn't know Andrew loved it
1: that much. Um, and in doing that, there were a lot of things that I did find really interesting. You know, if not good, at least Mainly? interesting. Well, I think Sigourney Weaver's performance is very strong. It, it's, there's a moment that we didn't talk about where she sees clones one through seven. Like they go into yeah. a room and she finds her predecessors, essentially, that were not successful rebirths. And Sigourney Weaver is in that scene 100%. Like she is she is crying and she is angry and it's a really effective scene. And she has moments like that throughout the film that I don't think this movie works in any way without her doing that because without her as that center for the film, I think it feels a lot more like maybe a sci-fi channel original movie (laughs) with all the other characters because, you know, I hate to say it because I know a lot of people who like Wendona Ryder, including my girlfriend. I never found her to be a very effective actress
0: Interesting. My boyfriend says the same thing. And I actually did enjoy her in many. Things.
1: Hmm. I haven't seen things like Reality Bites or Girl Interrupted. And probably in those more grounded movies, she works well. But in terms of like this movie or like Stranger Things, I don't think she is approaching the material the way that it ought to be approached. Anyway, without Sigourney to kind of keep everyone centered, I don't think the movie would work as well. But also some of the action set pieces, you know, while not up to the standard of what we might expect in 2017, which is not the current year, 2019. We wouldn't even expect it then. (laughs) (laughs) They're fun and they're The director spent a
0: lot of time on uh, set decorating as opposed to working with actors. I could tell that as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, they're trying. I always give a lot of credit to ambition, even Mm -hmm. when the execution isn't necessarily perfect.
0: So where does that bring you?
1: I think I would put this one also at a five. Equal to Alien 3, which I think Alien 3 is maybe better executed, but less interesting. Andrew, how about you? This is your favorite movie of all time, I assume. Uh, (laughs) This is your
2: favorite Alien movie. If you were going to rate it, where would you put it? And where
0: do the other two, at
2: least? Yeah. Yeah. So you start to see the scale. And also you... You have pointed out some things. The movie I want it to be isn't necessarily the movie that it is. Uh, I definitely would have said I put it at a 10. Because like, if, I, if you had to give me a checklist and you're like, all right, so here's the story. You've seen Aliens three times before. Yeah, well, Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley is dead. I've already seen Aliens do everything they can do and uh, it's losing its claustrophobia. The, the last one, Aliens 3, I felt was the least claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a room on a whole planet, and the planet was a prison anyway. And it wasn't that great. <laughs> you know, like the first two, like two, you, you're like almost gasping for air. It feels like Die diehard in a space that you're like, how are they ever going to get out of this thing? Or
1: even Aliens, which takes place in like a larger space, there's nowhere to go outside of it, right? They can't really leave. They don't know how to leave. So even though there's more rooms to explore,
2: there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So I I feel like if I told you, like, so there's this other Aliens movie (laughs) where it, uh, the crew of the Firefly meets the Aliens. And in it... We found one more way to feel suffocated. There's this set piece where they have to swim through the water for like 14 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And on top of that, the xenomorph mythology changes a little bit because we have a new alien you've never seen before. Also, we're going to take the action to Earth. I promise you we're going to have to work against the clock and get the action to Earth. And there's a bunch (laughs) of characters that you're going to love, but not all of them are going to die inexplicably, usually we just whittle them down one by one in this alien, it doesn't happen so like on paper, that's the movie I wanted to see, and in many ways I think that's the movie I remembered <laughs> or that like when I'm flipping through on cable, I'm like, oh, I should watch the watch this for a little bit, because that's, that's what I remembered, but when you talk about like the execution of it maybe not all those pieces fit together because the the idea of like there were a lot of problems like they're trying to get to the ship but we, you know we I don't know if we made it clear to our listeners that the ship is headed back to earth full of aliens mm-hmm. and the alien franchise has never made it to earth at this point
1: it's it, also unclear there is a twist they, at the end they yeah. ultimately crash that ship in an uninhabited part of earth but they are landing in a different part of earth on the betty but that part that also, also seems uninhabited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would it have been that bad if the xenomorphs had landed on Earth? Is well, unclear.
2: So this is another that part that's like, different, I think, in the endings, is that uh, the one that you saw, they don't make it to Paris.
0: The one that I saw.
2: Yeah. But the other one, like they fly into Earth, and it's like a sunset. And Earth, even though they said, Earth's a shithole. That place, that is a dump. Earth is beautiful. Earth in clouds and a sunset is, is beautiful that's how mm-hmm. it ends in the theatrical cut mm-hmm. whereas the other one like they're like in a parking lot in Paris with a bro- half broken Eiffel Tower <laughs> <laughs> so you're right it, this, the status of earth is like I feel like it was changed halfway through production
1: <laughs> you're not wrong like all those pieces are there right right all if- those things are in the movie they may not all come together to form something greater than the pieces but they're there you know, they are there
2: so before we started the podcast, I would have put it at a ten. Mm. I put Aliens, the second one, at a nine, and I feel like the suffocation or the pure horrorness of Alien is at an eight. I really did not like the third one, so I put there. that even below five. I put it at a four. Mm-hmm. After the podcast, maybe it may be it may be more like a seven. So I'd say that the things that now stand out are like the performances are bizarre. <laughs> Uh, having watched it again this Yeah, week, I mean, it's, it's not just
0: uh, Stephen and I changing people's minds. It's more like you watch the film again, Andrew, and this is what you experienced. I
2: right? was hoping that, yeah. And in some ways I was like, that's just me thinking that that is way off. But uh, you're right, like the Mignon, Pignon. Dominic Pignon. <laughs> he, he clearly doesn't know what he's saying. Now Now that I think about it and that you guys bring it up, like the Ooh. emphasis is wrong on everything, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, to right. the point that he does not understand what, yeah,
1: I mean, I imagine trying to deliver a performance just with transliterated French when I don't know what the words are, but I'm just saying them. Yeah, he might have done amazing
2: compared to well, anybody the else. Is, he's probably the only person on set besides the translator who can talk directly yeah. to the director. <laughs> the director's like, I think this is it. I think we have it. <laughs> Voila, finally, someone who
1: does it right. <laughs> so you've gone down to a seven, but yeah, I hope that we didn't push you toward that. Not actively too at least. much, because the things that you like about the movie are absolutely valid, and I think they're there. And I definitely saw some of them in watching it. And you've helped me find parts of the movie that I like that I might not have noticed before.
0: And I haven't changed at all <laughs> from beginning to the end of the podcast.
2: Like a, just, like a stone, just I'm, no just, changing. <laughs> I say, like, a, Aliens is, is a near-perfect... You know, I, it, it has bizarre performances, too, though. Like, the Bill Paxton's character True. is... So th- good. They're all... They're all they're, there's some interesting choices There's in there, something to like, be said,
0: the difference between the tropey, the so archetypes, and the bizarre...
1: Well, you know, and I don't and even in an Alien, Harry Dean Stanton is not who you would expect to be in an alien movie set in space. You wouldn't expect a man who appears to be
2: 90 years old already. Even if he makes it, he may die <laughs> right. on a ship yeah. of old age. Like, if if they did all his scenes and he was just in, like, loose tidy whities i would believe it like that could have been the <laughs> costume choice for him
1: so yeah these are you know while it broke from alien tradition in some ways in some ways it's it's it fits right in
0: interestingly that was the last movie for years like the last movie of the franchise for years
1: right mm. did it do well did any do any of us know like how it, it did do well
2: mm. uh surprisingly International. internationally mm. yeah not a great domestic uh, box office but when i was there in london the theater was filled. So imagine like a you know, a, a theatrical experience where everyone is scared and cheering and they also like English people are more exposed to a French aesthetic. Sure. It translated for them.
1: Well I think we talked out Alien Resurrection as much as we can today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Oh, this is Andrew, great. thank you for coming.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth Salute for our artwork.
1: And thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for our theme music. Thank you, Jay
0: Hunter, for production support. And, and thank
1: more. you for listening.